A lot of you have been wondering about worship at JCC and how things are going to look in the coming weeks, the coming months as summer begins. So I wanted to give you a few encouragements and updates today. The, the first encouragement is that in two Sundays, so that's the first Sunday in June, we are planning to move toward a live streaming service. Uh, that will be hosted on our website and you'll get more details in the next week, week and a half on how to access that and and what that will be like. But uh, that will be at 10 a.m., that first Sunday in June. And that hopefully will feel more like the the worship service we're we're accustomed to. Hopefully we'll be able to incorporate um, more faces and more contributions in worship in that way. And you'll be able to watch it recorded if that's more convenient, but um, also enter into that in, in live time with us on Sunday mornings. So that's something to look forward to. I'd also gently encourage you to think about in the next week or two weeks whether you might begin to gather together with one or two other families on Sunday mornings for that worship time, whether that's outdoors or in a home. Again, we want you to use your discernment and and know what you're comfortable and and what looks uh, wise for you, Uh, but to think about slowly rejoining uh, as a community in that way. Uh, in terms of what's, what's ahead for the, the summer months, we are continuing to, to read and discern and pray and talk together uh, with the deacon board, with the leadership teams here, to consider what makes sense and, and what's wise for us as a church family. And so we'll keep you posted as any decisions are made. Um, but, but those are uh, kind of where we're at today uh, as we look toward the coming weeks. We are moving into Acts 6 this morning, so let me encourage you to grab a Bible and turn uh, to the beginning of that chapter. And we're going to think in particular about missional leadership today. Mission is about welcoming new and, and diverse faces and people and groups into our spiritual family. And that, that concept can seem like an exciting prospect can be exciting to think about new people joining us until that newness actually begins to to yield a change in the way our community looks and feels. And at that point, in order for mission to succeed, we need to learn how to deal with diversity in our spiritual families. I don't know when you imagine uh, the the stories of the scriptures, and in particular the New Testament settings, what what kind of world fills your your imagination and mind. Maybe you picture little towns with mud mud brick buildings and and people in robes and sandals and bearded people. Uh, Perhaps that's part of the picture. But I, I don't know if we fully appreciate how a city like Jerusalem in the scriptures, just how international and diverse a place it really was. Because Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world, because it was home to the temple, it regularly had visitors from across the world, uh, kind of every known part of, of the Roman Empire, even from places like Arabia and northern Africa, Egypt, Asia Minor, and Greece. There were, there were all these different communities coming together at times in that city. By the time that the New Testament is being written, Hellenistic Jews, or, or those Jews who lived outside of the Holy Land and were often Greek-speaking, 
They comprised a relatively large portion of the Roman Empire. In many cities, Jews uh, could account for for 10, 15, even sometimes close to 20% of the population in those places. And as they lived in these far-flung places and cities and nations, uh, they picked up the Greek language. They also picked up aspects and elements of Greco-Roman culture. So you had this this diaspora, this this complex and, and culturally diverse Judaism of the first century. But as all of that was was taking place, uh, the rabbis began to emphasize a, a traditional teaching within Judaism, which was that it was it was particularly virtuous or blessed to be in the Holy Land itself, and in particular to end your life there, to be buried in the Holy Land. And that was because when the day of resurrection, the day of judgment took place, uh, it was to take place in Jerusalem, that the people would rise to meet the Messiah. And so in the first century and later, we have rabbis teaching that it was uh, a likely scenario that if you happen to die in one of these faraway places, say the city of Rome, and be buried there, that on the day of resurrection, your unresurrected body would somehow have to roll its way back to Jerusalem before you could be raised, and and maybe even have to tunnel underground in order to accomplish that feat. And it was predicted that this would be a rather unpleasant experience. That might seem uh, curious or or even humorous to us in some ways, but it, it, it resulted in a large number of Hellenistic Jews in this period attempting to return back to the Holy Land near the end of their lives, if they had means or if they were able, so that when they died, they could be buried as close to Jerusalem as possible. However, as as New Testament scholar Craig Keener points out, this also created a problem. It meant that often when these Hellenistic Jews died in the Holy Land, they left behind family members, and in particular widows, who wouldn't have the means or resources to support themselves any longer. And so these Hellenistic Jews who had resettled or or come back at the end of life were left to depend on the charity and the support of the, the native Hebraic Jewish communities in the Holy Land to keep them from falling into poverty. You could imagine, though, the kind of politics that a situation like that could create. You had insiders and you had outsiders. You had the people with resources and means and the people who needed their help. You had Greek-speaking Jews and Hebraic Jews. And they didn't always neatly fit together as as one spiritual family. We've been studying the, the birth of a new community, the New Testament church in the book of Acts. And it it takes place, it starts out there in this city of Jerusalem. And we might imagine that as a brand new community, it would start with a blank slate, that these these tensions and sort of political issues wouldn't, wouldn't be there at the start. But of course, every community, even a brand new one, will eventually reflect the history and the tensions and the backgrounds of the people who join it. And so today, as we come to Acts chapter 6, we see the New Testament spiritual family, the New Testament church, comprised of these different diverse communities. And we see that there's, there's tension, and we see that they're beginning to drift apart. The question I want us to consider 
as a community this morning is what kind of leadership, what kind of commitment does it take to keep a community like this one together? And not just together, but continuing to move forward in the mission God has for them as one people. As we open to Acts 6, let me pray for us today. Jesus, I thank you that you have called together your church, your family in this place. And you've called together a diverse community of people that you love. Lord, we have diverse places of birth and backgrounds. We have diverse family experiences. Lord, we we have diverse giftings. Lord, you have called us into one place to be part of your living church and body. And I pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would equip us to love what you love, to join uh, the mission that you have in our, our working and our stirring in this place. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We see some diversity, some cultural connections and disconnections here in this passage. And here in Vermont, as a a state populated by lots of small towns, we might assume that joining a a community is a relatively straightforward experience here, that, that maybe we don't deal with quite the same complexity in our day. Right? Most small town communities have predictable patterns and established ways of doing things that many find comfortable and familiar as a result. But you might be surprised how difficult it can be to join one of these communities, even our little community here at JCC, when you are new to that place. Right? For, for some of us, the way I think our, our church family operates feels a little bit like a, a comfortable old sweatshirt. Right? Something that's, that's broken in, it's unassuming, it, it fits us in just the way we like it. And even the faults or the stains or the rips, we're, we're so used to them, we're willing to kind of overlook them. 
But to others of us, this place, especially if it's new to us, might feel a bit more like a stiff pair of new jeans that need to go through the wash a few dozen more times before they, they fit who we are. Now, that, that's not good or bad. That's, I think, just the nature and the reality of communities. In every community, there are familiar insiders, people who have been there and, and understand kind of how things operate. And there are those who are further out on the margins and maybe trying to find their way deeper in. That's a, that's a reality, but I think what matters is what we do about this reality. Verse 1 here in this passage suggests that, that this community in Acts has these insiders and outsiders, these two groups that are actually starting to drift apart from one another because of some tension the Hellenistic Jews, and the Hebraic Jews. And the text says that the Greek-speaking or Hellenistic Jews felt that their widows were being overlooked when the, the food was daily being distributed to those who had need, that there wasn't fair treatment taking place. And, and it was largely happening along these, these sort of cultural lines. What I want us to focus on, though, is what happens in verses 2 through 5, as a response. What I want to start out by highlighting is what I think is the first principle of missional leadership that brings the people of God together and and moves them forward in mission. And that principle is that missional leadership chooses to make outsiders into insiders. It's committed to making outsiders into insiders. Look at what the apostles do in verse 2. It says they gather this whole community of disciples together. They bring everybody into one place, and they review the problem that's before them. After they present the problem, though, this is what I think is amazing. They say, this is the problem. We're turning this over to you to figure out, to all of you, to the whole community. We're not going to tell you what to do. Have you ever tried this maybe with your own kids? Right? They're arguing about something, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to fix this for you. You've got to figure it out together. And they sort of look at you like, oh no, how's that going to happen? I think in choosing to proceed in this way, the apostles validate that every voice in this community matters. Not just those on the outside that are, are feeling overlooked. Not just those on the inside that might have cultural capital or, or power in some way. Everybody needs to be heard. And it doesn't tell us how long it took for them to find a resolution. It might have been a few hours. It could have taken them several days to work through this process. But incredibly, as the people of God come together, all together, and they they pray and they seek a solution, we're told that the seven seven individuals they choose uh, to lead this, this sort of new team to serve the church, all seven of those persons have Greek names. They choose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Nicholas isn't even just a Greek-speaking Jew. He's a Gentile convert to Judaism, the text says. So, in, in faced with really the first major conflict in the early church, the early church chooses to resolve that problem by empowering a whole team of outsiders, right? A whole team of, of people from the friend, the fringe. They, they appoint seven Hellenistic Jews to become the first deacons in the church, the first servants 
to care for the church in this way. It'd be sort of like handing over the keys of JCC to a bunch of flatlanders. Maybe you've already done some of that, right? I'm, I'm your pastor, and I'm, I'm not from these parts. But, but we, we, we recognize that this isn't easy. It isn't easy to hand over leadership uh, or control or direction or vision to those who maybe are different from us in some way. For the church of Jesus, though, to be missional, it means that we don't exist just for us, right? We exist for the, the life of the world itself, the world that God has created and loves. We've been called in, into existence as, as a spiritual family to bring those on the margins into gospel communities, into the community and presence of Jesus. So I want to give a, kind of a first application or challenge, especially to those who might be insiders in this community. And that is, who might be further out on, on the fringes? Who has, has had more difficulty joining and, and being invited in and valued in this church community? And how can we make sure that we're giving space to listen, to hear them, to invite them in? What would it even look like for us to hand over resources or opportunities to them so that they can participate together with us in mission? Again, that's often something we we have to initiate and invite. Verse 3 tells us that as the apostles think about who's, who's poised to serve, who, who might be prepared to serve the church and lead the church in mission? They only offer one criteria for that selection. They tell the group to choose whoever you know to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. To me, that suggests then that for the early church, missional leadership was about following one leader in particular. And that leader was the Spirit itself. Missional leadership, then, is about following the Spirit. It's the second principle that we need to to take in in order to continue to move forward in mission. Leadership is about following the Spirit of God. To join God in the mission he has for his church, I think it's, it's less about having some brilliant executive leader or team of leaders who cast vision and create all these new initiatives kind of from the top down. I think the church in Acts is is more often about this whole body, these men and women together being empowered and filled by the Spirit to lead the church forward. And I love how the apostles here trust that the Spirit of God is working in the church beyond just the 12 of them. They trust that the Spirit is going ahead of them. They they trust that there are already seven Spirit-filled people God has made ready for this job, even if they don't know who they are. And so they don't feel the need to micromanage or, or to grumble about having one more problem to fix in the church. Right? They're willing to follow where the Spirit of God leads them. So it, in an effort to help lead us in mission, let me ask you, where might the Spirit of God be filling you? That's something that that I would hope maybe you would consider and and ask personally. Now, I know there are traditions within the Christian faith that would distinguish between spirit-filled believers and sort of normal or regular believers. But but to me, I think what the scriptures say is that anyone who who trusts in the faithfulness of Jesus is, is gifted, is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But I think as Jesus gifts to us his spirit, as he fills us, as he leads us through the Holy Spirit, maybe this idea of being spirit-filled or full of the spirit is, is more about our receptivity to that gift. Right? The spirit is, is always looking to take us deeper into the mission of God. The question is, are we continuing to take the next step to follow him? And then the next step after that. I think being spirit-filled is about this kind of attentiveness to what God might be inviting us to do. Our church, I think, has had to adapt to lots of new things recently. But I was encouraged this past week when one of the leaders of our church mentioned to me just how impressed, how encouraged they were at the, the new ways that, that numerous people had stepped up to serve and to meet needs at this time. Right, whether that's putting together these kind of video resources weekly, whether it's disinfecting the church buildings we're using, whether it's renovating the Sunday school building next door right now, delivering meals to people, making phone calls to those who are alone. Right, the, the Spirit has been busy filling you, right, supplying and gifting and leading And so that means that we are continuing to move forward in mission as a church because the Spirit is doing that work in each of us. So let me encourage you, whether you have been part of our church for for 30 days or whether you've been here for 30 years, that if if you sense that maybe the Spirit has given you a particular idea, a particular uh, gift to offer the church, that we want to, to hear about that. We want to make space for that. We want to invite that forward, even if you don't fully understand what that might look like yet. Not only do we, we want you to exercise that gift, we, we need you to. That is part of how God has gifted and designed and arranged the church body. The last thing then I want us to think about from this passage today is that when we bring a a diversity of gifts together in community, right? when we bring the the outsiders and make them into insiders, when we allow the Spirit to fill and lead us as a people, Acts 6 tells us that that creates a mission that has space to be word and worship-centered. That's the the third principle I want to highlight today. Missional leadership is word and worship-centered. In verses 2 and 4, we hear from the apostles their central desire in, in addressing this issue is that prayer and that the ministry of the word remain central to the life and mission of the church. And so the community of Jesus, right, isn't called together just to resolve sort of food distribution issues. And thankfully, when, when those kind of practical needs or problems arise, the Spirit adequately gifts and empowers his church to actually address the need that's there rather than sweeping it under the carpet. But the, the bigger picture, the, the heartbeat and the mission of the church is to connect with the power and the presence of God himself. Right? It's to be in, to be part of the, the body, to abide in Jesus, the resurrected Son of God. And so that means that prayer and worship and the word of God, which has been given to us, need to have ample space in the mission we share together. Really appreciated how many of you spent time the week before last in in the places that you live, in the communities that you're a part of, praying with one another in those those towns and, and communities. And I heard from several of you how encouraging that time was, that it connected you more deeply with each other. 
In, in a similar way, it says here, right, the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. And I wonder how we can continue to, to pray together, not just with greater frequency, but with intentionality, with, with dependency, with an increased sensitivity to how the Spirit is filling and leading us in mission. I think missional communities depend on that kind of prayer. Right? Prayer is the engine of mission because it makes us sensitive to who God is and his presence among us. Verse 7, in conclusion, it provides this great summary statement to conclude this passage. It says that as the apostles kept the church community centered on the word of God and centered in prayer, as they they brought the Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jews from the outside in and they empowered them to lead, as they looked for the Spirit to fill and guide the church. It says that the result, verse 7, is that the word of God spread and that the number of disciples in Jerusalem began to grow rapidly. One of the, the things that I think is cool about this passage is that these few verses at the beginning of Acts 6 are a key transformational moment in the early church. In fact, without this particular incident, there might not have been the rest of the book of Acts. Because when the church was willing to to bring in these Hellenistic Jews and empower them and hear them and give them leadership, right? they, they also prepared their community for a mission, a new wave of mission that was coming. Beginning in chapter 8 and moving forward, we see the Jerusalem church take the word of God, take the mission of God out to the Gentile world. And in in the coming decades, the coming centuries, the church would be flooded with, with those who were diverse and from all sorts of different places and cultures, joining the mission and the work of God. I'm excited at JCC that as, as we continue to do these things, as we continue to think about what mission looks like, that this could be a time of, of pivotal and important transformation for our community, that we would be poised to take the word of God out and to welcome new people, uh, to be more hospitable as a community, to figure out what it looks like to be in mission together in this place. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are full of life and full of leadership, and you invite us in. You invite us to follow you, and you empower us to do that. And Lord, I pray that as a body, we would, we would emulate you in that, uh, that we would love what you love, and that we would go where you lead us and where your spirit is filling us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.